0: Is the Stuck Mike Abcast, an aviation podcast by thepilotreport.com about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly.
1: Thanks for tuning in to episode 16 about pilot eye health, FAA vision tests, the history of checklists, and more coming up now on this New Year's Day edition of the Stuck Mike Abcast.
0: Now, here are your co hosts Victoria Neuville, Rick Felty, Carl Valeri, and Len Costa.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast for 2012, your first aviation episode for the new year. Yay! And I'd like to welcome uh, onto the episode today Carl, Rick, and Victoria. How's everyone doing?
2: Great. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Year. Yes, indeed.
1: Let's do the pre-flight. So uh, starting off today, we've got a couple of announcements uh, before jumping into the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast... As previously mentioned uh, a couple of episodes ago, we came out with an iPhone, an iPad, and an Android application. Now, those applications are free. However, there's the caveat that they are advertising supported. So you notice at the bottom of each page, there are ads there. We've just released for the iPhone, the iPad, and the iPod. A paid version to remove those uh, to remove those ads, and the way you'll be able to distinguish the two in the uh, iTunes Store is by the icon and the name. The icon has been changed, so it says um, the word "free" at the bottom, and then the other the uh, the word "free" in the title as well uh, when you're searching for it in the store. So. If you're the kind of person that prefers to have ads removed from the application, go ahead and search for it in the iTunes um, app store there. Stuck Mike Cast is the name of the application. It's in there uh, for $2.99. You can pick that up and have uh, all your favorite content free of those nasty ads on the bottom. So the the next item is... We wanted to um, put something special together for our listeners. As you know, you know the Stuck My Gavcast is a listener-supported aviation podcast, and what we've done is we've set up a, a um, recurring monthly donation subscription so that you can set a, you know set it and forget it, and send us a monthly donation in the amount of two dollars, five dollars, ten dollars, or twenty-five dollars, and you'll be billed every month, and you won't have to think about it. Of course, there's never an obligation to send us a donation. We'll continue to always create our wonderful content and share that with you. However, we asked, you know, if you found any of these episodes valuable to you, if you think that it's worthwhile sending us a little tip here and there, go ahead and subscribe for one of these monthly recurring memberships. Now, I will add that if you do choose the $10 a month level, we're going to go ahead and send you a free gift, and that free gift is one of our Stuck Mike Avcast magnets and a Stuck Mike Avcast button. If you choose the $25 a month gift, you will receive a Stuck Mike Avcast magnet and our Stuck Mike Avcast coffee cup. Uh, coffee cup. Now, those gifts are um, those are our, our way of showing our appreciation, those free gifts to you for the support, you know, your, your monthly contribution support. And uh, please do check that out, uh, stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash support. Now entering cruise flight. Victoria, why don't we start with uh, your topic today?
3: Sure thing, um, I wanted to discuss a little bit about eye health today, because um, it's been a personal struggle for me in my uh, pursuit of an aviation career. Um, I had a retinal detachment last year that um, my retinal specialist, who wasn't in aviation, told me that I would probably never be able to fly, um, at least commercially. So that was very scary for me, but you know, when I did some research and learned more about eye health and what the FAA required, um, I learned a little bit more. Um, oh, that, most-
2: that's just interrupt. That's probably scary, huh? To have oh, that. it
3: was very, very frightening. Um, oh. I was at the doctor's, you know, hearing about this and he's like, Why are you so upset? It's okay, we'll fix it. And I said, Well, you know, I'm a pilot. And he he asked me, What's your backup?
0: Ooh. Oh, nice.
2: Oh
3: that was a pretty low point. <laughs>
2: Can I ask how you like are there symptoms? Is there something the, yeah,
3: that's, um, there's definitely, I'll let you symptoms. get into it.
2: I'm sorry. I don't want to interrupt. But.
3: No, um, I actually won't even be talking about specifically okay. detachments. Right. Um, but what you will notice if you ever have flashes that look like lightning bolts hmm. in the corner of your eye, if you ever have an increased amount of floaters, hmm. um, like those little spots you see that mm-hmm. you think there's dust in your contact or something, Right. if you have more of those or a big rush of them, or if it seems like a black curtain is being drawn over your eye, those are all um, signs that you immediately need to see um, a retinal specialist. Wow,
2: that's intense.
1: Now, what was so. the time frame on this, I don't even know if I'd call it an injury, but this incident with your eye again?
3: Well, um, I didn't even know it happened. I had none of those symptoms. Okay. It was a pure fluke that I went to go to the eye doctors to get new con- uh, uh, Yeah, new contacts, and they said, we see a little bit of a, I think it was like a ridge or a bump or something. She said, "You could have a detachment." And um, I went in, I almost blew it off, but I went into the retinal specialist, and sure enough, I had worst case scenario. Um, the reason I'm bringing it up today is I'm having symptoms again, and um, I'm seeing my specialist every three weeks to keep an eye on it. Mm-hmm. No pun intended because <laughs> um, I do I have the flashes now, so. Mm-hmm. Not cool, but if you know what to expect and take care of it and catch it soon enough, um, you're least likely to have a major problem such as blindness.
4: Wow, that's scary. I hope everything turns out all right.
3: You put a bit of a damper on the evening. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But basically, there's this guy named Herman Snellen. In the 1800s, he developed um, the uh, Snellen equivalent, which is that chart that we all have to read at, at our medicals, you know, the big letters, and they get smaller and smaller as you go down the lines. Um, he uh, developed these as a way of telling how your sight is, and he came up with fractions to memorize it. For example, 2100 vision, the smallest letter an individual can read at 20 feet is read at 100 feet by a person with normal vision. On the opposite end of the spectrum, um, if you have 20-10 vision, what you can see at 20 feet, the average person can only see at 10 feet. So that's where those fractions come in. Um, The FAA has uh, vision requirements that you have to meet. Um, For distant vision, which is defined as seeing things you see 20 feet or more ahead of the viewer, the FAA requires 20-40 or better in each eye. And that's with or without correction um, in the third class medical. Um, For the second and first class medical, they have to be 20-20 in each eye, um, corrected or uncorrected. If you move over to um, near vision, all classes require 20-40 vision or better, each eye. Um, Near vision is measured from 16 inches. Um, but when you hit the age of 50 or more, that number goes to 20, 40 or better in each eye. Oh, I'm sorry. That was for intermediate vision. 20 or 40 or better in each eye, over 50 for intermediate vision. Um, intermediate vision, if you're under 50, not a big deal. There's several things that you can have um, that they say are initially disqualifying, such as my retinal detachment. Don't give up. There's a chance FAA will... Um, submit a waiver. Um, But there's a lot of paperwork that you have to deal with. Um, First, you'll have to have your ophthalmologist fill out what's called a 8500-7 form, and that's available on the FAA site. Um, You want to make your appointment enough in advance before your medical expires or before your medical exam to make sure you give your doctor enough time to fill this out. Sometimes you'll have to go twice if they need certain tests. Depends if your eyes need to be dilated or not dilated. So you might have to go back again. Make sure you bring all of these with you. I also keep copies uh, to your uh, aviation medical examiner. Um, you could be issued a medical on the spot. However, your records are still going to be sent to the FAA, and they are going to look it over, and you're going to get what's called an authorization letter in the um, mail a month or two later. And it's very scary when you get this authorization letter because at first it sounds like they're revoking your medical, and that's what I thought they were doing. But if you read deeper into all this like lawyerish mumbo jumbo that's written on it, you'll find out that they authorize you for a year or two or three. It varies per person to keep on getting your medical. And you must bring this letter to your next aviation medical exam and you must carry it with you whenever you fly. I made a copy because they print it out on very thick paper. And when you fold that up and put it in your wallet, it's kind of big. So pretty much take care of your eyes. Do the best you can to do your um, yearly exams with your eye doctor. Um, Vitamin C and A are supposedly the best things to take if you're into uh, doing things natural. Try the whole carrot thing if you want to. And if, again, if you have any um, sudden notice of just major change in your vision or like the flashes and floaters I mentioned, do not hesitate to call your doctor and um, make an appointment. Now, if you do struggle with eye problems like I do, uh, don't feel alone. Uh, there's other pilots who are going through exactly what you are. In fact, there's a group called uh, www.losteye.com. Uh, it was founded by Jay Adkinson. He's an author and financial speaker, and he lost his one of his eyes due to cancer. And despite all the odds, he became a pilot and is now. Um, a very successful man that founded this group to support other pilots. So I thought that was pretty great.
2: That's very cool. Yeah, that is awesome. Cool.
3: There's also another fun guy. His name was Edward McMannick. Um, He was an ace pilot in World War One and it was often dubbed the one-eyed ace. <laughs> um, he was not blind, but he had an extreme infection at a young age, and um, that messed up his left eye, and it was very, very weak. Um, he took naturally to flight and was uh, awarded the Victoria Cross and holds the record as uh, British Britain's highest scoring ace. So that's all from a one-eyed pilot. Um, another famous wow. name you might recognize is Wiley Post. Um, oh, he was yeah. a performer in the famous barnstorming days. He jumped out of planes and uh, just went into all kinds of air shows just to make ends meet and pay for his gas. Um, he longed to be a pilot and started saving money at an oil company in Texas, and when he was on the job, he uh, received an injury that caused one of his eyes to have to be removed. He eventually saved up enough money at this very same job to get a plane, and uh, it just made him even more determined to become a pilot because he had something to prove. Um, in uh, 1933, he was actually the first person to fly around the world, and he did it in eight days, all with one eye. Wow. So if oh. these guys can do it, you can too. Um,
2: fly around the world?
3: Well, that, yeah, with just, one eye. <laughs> so just put a patch on it. <laughs> yeah. Good to go.
2: But don't fly with Amelia Earhart.
3: No. No, no. I, just, know, as much as i love to Which is what I think Wiley,
2: <laughs> that was a Wiley Post's only mistake, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? Maybe it was his fault. I don't know. We could have been. Yeah,
3: really. Yeah. Might be the whole one eye thing. That might have been, to. but otherwise he was
2: quite successful. I remember seeing the pictures of him and the, you know, the patch, he had, he had a patch, I think.
3: Yep. I believe he did. Hmm. Um, this is a quote that got me through, you know, I always look for fun inspirational quotes when, you know, I'm feeling kind of down and obviously I was feeling pretty down when I had the whole eye issue. It's, um, from Mario Andretti. It says circumstances may cause interruptions and delays, but never lose sight. There's that pun again that I like Hmm. of your goal. Prepare yourself in every way you can by increasing your knowledge and adding to your experience so that you may make the most of opportunity when it occurs.
4: Right. Very right, cool. That's great. Oh. I like that.
3: Oh, yeah.
4: Awesome. <laughs> Booyah. So, Victoria, can I, I have a couple questions about sure. this? Now, yes. this, this waiver, is it usually for a specific period? You said that? Uh, I think um, you mentioned that. As...
3: Yeah, I was told originally that the FAA would keep an eye on me for a couple years which is what that whole authorization letter is about. It's pretty much saying, you know, you have to submit your records. Um, it says, you know, hey, your medicals only good for this year, but we're authorizing you to be able to get your medicals for two years or four or whatever number they put in there. Um, the letter is really confusing. I really didn't understand it at first. So, you know... Um, But I talked to my AME when I had my recent medical saying, oh, it's a two-year letter. So, you know, after this next letter, I won't get any anymore. And he said, don't count on it. So I'm probably going to have a yearly medical for the rest of my life and have to carry around this darn authorization letter. But I pretty much, I think it's worth it to still be able to fly. So...
4: Now, are there other organizations like AOPA that can help with that or no? You know, I did um,
3: join. They had a medical organization. I forget what it's called. Um, But AOPA does have a program that you can join. It was like 99 something a year. And they'll help you um, fight your case to the FAA. So if the FAA happens to decline your medical or something like that, uh, they will help you every step of the way. I did join it at first because I had no idea what I was, gonna, was about to be in for, um, but I ended up canceling it. I didn't need it. I didn't have to have a fight or anything, so that was good.
4: Interesting. So so if you are somebody that, that only has, say, one eye, you can still get your medical, but you'd have to go through this probably you once probably a year to, probably. Yeah.
3: Um, if you were like, let's say That's- you lost an eye, That's not something that's going to change. That's not a disease Mm. that is threatening your sight. That's just the fact you have one eye. So once you get your medical, it probably is no problem. You don't have to deal with, you know, a limit on your medical, such as this is only good for a year. You need this authorization letter. But Mm. if it's something like a disease, like a history of detachments or anything like that, that's when you probably have to go through that whole hassle.
4: Yeah. My, my grandfather actually had one eye and, uh, he had, he had talked about flying and uh, I, you know I guess back then you couldn't go get a medical. It's just like you couldn't you couldn't fly without um, having a certain minimum of vision without your glasses on. and that's all changed too. So there's some yeah. great strides I guess they they've made in, in medicine and also in the issuance of medicals, which is good. But it really, it, it is scary, I guess, when you get that letter. I could just imagine what it felt like in the in the mail. I said, oh my gosh, you know, what is this? Yeah, what do I do next? Yeah, the first paragraph,
3: it pretty much said, because you have such and such problem, according to FAA 757, blah, 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 um, you do not qualify for a medical. That's the first paragraph. And, you know, I, nice. I got all choked up. Oh my God. But then the second paragraph, but <laughs> here you go. <laughs> <laughs> wow! So they do like wow. to scare
4: you. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Interesting stuff, though. This is I I'd mm. actually like to hear more about it. But uh, I'm sure there's some neat stuff online too that we can look at. Like you were saying with this person, the that website and the or yeah. that group. And what was that website? One more time. It was a uh,
3: uh, Lost dot com. So L O S T E Y E dot com.
4: Cool. Awesome. Awesome. Great. Neat stuff. Yeah. Really interesting.
3: And of course we hope no one ever has to go through that. So
4: Right. Amen.
1: Mm.
3: But if so, there's some there's a lot of good people out there to help you.
1: I remember reading this story about your experience online and I think that's how I start we started first communicating on Twitter. So I yeah, remember, but I think
3: it was just before I met you. Yeah. Um just before I moved to Fredericks. So. Yeah.
1: So well, that was happening. Best of luck to you, kiddo. I hope that uh, you know, that doesn't become a, a bigger problem in the future. Oh, I won't let it. I have my way. (laughs) And I know you get your way. So that's, that's that.
3: (laughs) So there. (laughs) So there. Take that eyeballs.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Um, Well, I'm going to pass the torch over to Rick because he has something that's actually vision related. He wanted to share with us as well. So uh, Rick.
2: Yeah. It's funny because I was thinking ahead to, you know, topics for, for uh, the show and, uh, I saw what Victoria wanted to talk about, and I, and I had separately been thinking of this topic as well because it's something that I went through, and and it's just worth people you know knowing about. Again, it's another bit of information about uh, the process, really. So um, you know, the, the the starting point is that I'm colorblind. I am red green colorblind, which is a fairly common. I think there's a more technical term for it, but basically, it's it's uh, it's what a a good amount of people, percentage of people, um, especially men, are. And it it involves the in selective lighting situations the inability to distinguish between some colors in my case it seems to be principally reds and greens in a certain tonal range and it's so it's very specific and I don't really notice it um, most days ever you know it's not something that affects my life um, and uh, so it, but it's but it's there and as I started into my training um, I was somewhat aware that that might be an issue and I had um, some conversations with the uh, the guys I was uh, starting to learn from, your know, first few flights, kind of things, and they they had had a little some experience where they were aware of that there was some process that it would be okay. You know, you don't really have to worry about it. There'll be a couple things you got to do, but don't worry about. It. But uh, but nowhere could I find any description of what that process was or what you, you know, what you should be prepared for. So I ended up going through it, and and it went great. And I'm going to sort of walk you through what happened to me, and then um, they should be aware of it, and we can put a link to a blog post I wrote at the time about it um but basically everything you know to be able to obviously solo in in during your training you need the third class medical uh as a student pilot and to get that you have to one of the things you do is you look at that uh uh, book with the charts and at the circular charts and the colored dots and i think it's called the ishihara test looking at my at a website for it now and um you know, for my whole life, well, since I was a kid and it was, I was diagnosed, I, I know that I don't see the numbers in most of those circles that most people see. So I knew going in, I wasn't going to see the numbers. And I, and, um, I think I had called or spoke to someone who said, don't worry, just come on in, you know, we'll take care of it. So I went in, the medical went great set, you know, they opened the number book and I went, well, I'll tell you right now I'm colorblind and I, I can't see anything there. And so that was, you know, they were fine. And they said, you know, it's cool. We, we can't ha- normally I think when you leave the medical you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but they hand you the piece of paper, I think, or it get maybe gets mailed from that office quickly. But but in this case, they had to send the paperwork because of that an anomaly to the to the Nashua office, uh, Nashua, New Hampshire office to um, to be sort of dealt with. And I was told that I would then get um, some paperwork from them in, in a week or so. And it took a little longer than that. I think I had called and there was probably a holiday in there, you know, standard stuff but eventually I ended up with a couple of pieces of paper. Um, uh, one of them was my medical with qualifications on it, which, which allowed me to solo, but prevented me from flying at night or in any situation that might involve signal lights. And, um, so that was cool. That allowed me to keep training. And then there was, um, information about what to do next, which, which was this, I had to, uh, call the, uh, The FISDO, the local FISDO, and um, set up an appointment to go have a signal uh, light gun test. I think I've pronounced that correctly or said that correctly. And um, so I did do that. And I, uh, but you know, I didn't know what to expect. I mean, the scariest thing was that I didn't know how that test was administered and and what I might see and how well I might do. Because for me, you know, if someone says, what color is that? It depends a lot on, is it a fabric? Is it dark? You know, all these factors. So I didn't really know whether, I didn't know how the test would be done or if, how many shots I'd have at it or whatever. So I went to the FISDO, which is right near, um, um, Oh, drawing a blank. I'll have to cut this out. What's the airport? The Windsor Locks? Uh-huh. No, no, no. It's up near, um, oh, you know, it's the big airport northwest of Boston. I'm just trying to believe. Oh, uh, Lawrence? No, no, the bigger no. one. But, uh, oh. Hanscom. Uh, okay, yeah. sorry. So and I went up to the FISDO that is right near Hanscom, and I went to the offices. I thought maybe it would happen at the offices, and, um, you know, they might, like, shine a light across a room, or I don't You know. I didn't know what. But as I, as I pulled in, that I noticed that the glass of this office they were all tinted, and I thought, well, that's that's not going to happen through glass anyway. And and they had not done this in a while, or they it took a while to find the right person that knew what to do. But pretty quickly, we were in a car, or I was following him in his car over to uh, Hanscom to um, Signature, basically FBO, and and which had a line of sight vision to the tower, and it was pretty pretty clear quickly that what was going to happen was an actual you know, light gun shining from the tower as if to a plane, but basically to me with this, this guy there. And um, so, and, but again, I didn't know what to expect. I had not seen that gun in that situation. Hadn't really seen any light guns. I don't know how many people have really, um, at least, you know, new pilots. And, um, but basically the, the short of it, and you can read my more descriptive blog post is that I was shown a light. It was pretty clearly, a color i forgot in what order they were in, but it was, it was clear that I knew, you know, I was able to name the first color, um, which I think was green, then, then white and then, um, and then red. And, and I could tell what they were. They were different enough. There wasn't any, any real issue. And I kind of felt that would be okay, but I never knew what if I can't tell, what if it's dim, what if, you know, whatever. So it was like, I named the three colors. It took each, they, they had each one up about 30 seconds. We stood there waiting for the next one. And then the guy was what said, okay, cool, you're all set. And we went back inside, and he had two letters with him. One that said, you know, rejected. I guess I don't never saw the words on that. And the other one, which he signed and handed to me, which was uh, basically you're good to go. And that letter is the one like Victoria was talking about, that I keep with me and have copies of, and I bring that to my physicals, which are still on schedule uh, as per you know any normal person my age, you know, a pilot, and show that to them, and that pretty much says it's okay you don't have to test his colorblindness because um, we tested it this one time so um it went okay. it went great and and I think the process was was fair and fine and all that I just never saw it it wasn't written down anywhere I didn't really know what to expect so I was a little nervous because a few things hinged on it um, and uh, it worked out okay so I don't know if you guys have guys any questions but that's uh that's my uh, little story I do. about that I yeah do. yeah.
3: Um, I know there's certain things they can do. I don't know what's on your medical, but if you still can't pass certain part of the test, they can give you, uh, they have something on there that says, you know, day ops only or night right. ops only. Right. Do you have anything like that? or do No, I tell don't you what because I passed. No,
2: I, but okay. I, th- I think you're right. I think if I hadn't passed that, there is another, um, I think there's a machine-based test. Like you put your head in something and identify colors that way. I think there's a fall, you know, another fallback Although I get why they want you to in a real, the real world scenario that they're most worried about. They want to make sure you're okay. Um, So yeah, I think if I'd not passed, ultimately I would have probably gotten some qualifications and probably been able to fly D um, because most of the time, almost hundred percent of the time, that's, that's not necessarily an issue, but anyway, but I don't know. I, you know, I didn't research it any further once I, once they said good to go, but I think, I still would have been able to fly, but with some limitations. Which I don't know what you do. I mean, I guess you train at night to get those hours in with a CFI, but you don't ever solo at night. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh,
1: So, Rick, you were saying that this hasn't really been something that's affected you too terribly. But do you? I mean, do you really notice it occasionally? Is it? Is it? Is it the only times you see an occasional symptom at night during the day? What are your? Um, When do you really? When do you really notice it? Like you said, it's occasional.
2: Yeah, I, only in a context where um, if I have to pick out a color of something for someone or if I have to choose or if someone, you know, th- there are situations where if I'm called upon to to focus on a real precise color evaluation of something, then, mm-hmm. then I'm not really, I don't trust myself to do that effectively. Um, but, you know, it was mostly as a kid is where I noticed it because I would pick out, you know, the mixed clothes funny or or I would, <laughs> um, you know, colored I did coloring things made I made color choices that were quite creative apparently I'm told in coloring books um but no in real life no I mean I I you know I'm a cameraman but camera's auto sort of auto adjust color right. you know I've never really that's never been an issue because there's right. there's you know there's uh there's ways to set those up precisely that, mm-hmm. that that work and um so yeah it's it's um it's not I can't even describe the last time that it really was an issue but when I tell people then they go well, what color is this and <laughs> Usually I can get it right. It's really subtleties. I think what it does is when you're young, it throws off your your learning of colors a bit. So there are um there are lots of subtleties to colors that if there's not much red in you know, a if it if it's drifting toward purple but not really obviously purple, I might see it as blue or I might identify it as blue when mm-hmm. other people with more sensitivity would see the red component mm-hmm. of that or whatever. So, you know, it's it's interesting and and I don't really ever know what uh the world looks like differently. It's just what I've always seen. So I can't, there's really no way to compare. And, uh, and there is no other application where there's, where there's any kind of question of it affecting you really, unless you were, Mm -hmm. you know, in some field that was specifically about color, I suppose, like paints or I don't know. Right.
1: Well, I mean, it's, it's fascinating to me anyhow, because of, uh, you know, the nature of your job and the design work, like you said, with cameras and some of the stuff we've done here for the podcast and some of the logo designs that, uh, it, I would have never guessed. Yeah. I mean, the well, stuff I, that we've done together, you, you can't right. even... I would have never known that, hey, why did he pick that? I think, it's just yeah. odd. <laughs> I,
2: think I, must, I think I must be very subtly affected. I, mm-hmm. I just have... I don't think it's... But, I, but it's weird because those circles, it's completely... There is no... There's no number wow. there. Wow. And uh, so, yeah. So, and I've gotten maybe good at picking... I know what colors I can work with. You know, you don't see me picking a lot of reds and browns and those darker earth tones that kind of blur, I think for me, maybe, I don't know. Now does,
1: I mean, have you then learned what some of these strange, you know, strange images or strange colors, like you said, some, you usually pick it, right? Is that because you've learned that this is, you know, when I see this, this is, it's generally, you know, going to be blue, for example. Yeah. I mean, I
2: can, the, the, the more primary the colors, the more clear, you know, the more clearly I can say, yeah, that's, you know, That's blue. But when it's some, I don't know what color, you know, mauve, or I don't know, just pick a middling color that it combines a lot of primary colors, Mm. then I might not have probably, you know, learned how to identify that as well. Because one, I may not see it as well. And two, I may have been afraid to even go there because I didn't, you know what I mean? I I shied away from, from really getting colors down. So I like, you know, I love blue and yellow. (laughs) <laughs> you know, really clear because like, they're not, I mean, that's, you know, blue is my favorite color. And those two, those two are, man, they look great together. I don't wear a lot of yellow, but you know what I mean? I I stay fairly basic primary mm-hmm. with not lot. And, and if, and if I want to get adventurous, I bring my wife along for mm-hmm. clothing and other things, you know?
4: Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. And in fact, I end up with. So, so Rick, I have two questions yeah. for you. Yeah. I was going to say, when you're leaving the house, does your wife ever tell you, honey, you, <laughs> that really doesn't match? And <laughs> yeah. And if I get that often, does that mean I need to worry? <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, it could just be that you have, you know, that you don't have good taste, I suppose. But no, um, um, no, I, no, oh, ouch, ouch. Well, no, I don't. Um, I don't get that so much, in, but I did. I used to. I think I've gotten better at just. Well, once I have stuff, you know, it's the new purchases that are the challenge. You know, not uh, what's oh. in the closet, because I'm pretty good at knowing. I can tell the difference between like this pair of socks and this pair of socks you know whatever i've you know it's almost it's almost like garanimals if you guys remember what garanimals were they were a kids, baby clothes they were no i'm just saying they were a kid's matching clothes thing that Mm. they had a code on them that that you knew how to match you know if the bears go with the bears i guess is what it was you know and so it's kind of like that it's like (laughs) once i know that that tie goes with that suit you know with that shirt i can Right. You know, I can do that every time. So it's it's a little more like a uniform when I used to wear uh, suits and ties, and now I'm you know more casual, and it's it's easy in a different way. You know, so and it's cool. very subtle, I think. So, but the flying thing, I thought it was fascinating that you know, and I and it was that standing there on that ramp was like, okay, this is really important right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so and it went okay.
1: I was able new things about everybody, little yeah. little bits and pieces about uh, my co-hosts.
4: Like that, but I'd have no taste. Is what no, I'm no, no, no. Okay, <laughs> okay. I, I, was, I was
2: speaking of me. If I right, got I'm that, gonna with the weirdest
3: colored tie for Christmas. if you can identify
2: it. I actually used to buy a lot of um, Jerry Garcia ties, uh, which are very cool ties, multicolored. And, yeah. and they look great with blue suits. You can mm-hmm. wear them with any suit, really, because they have a lot So, So that, I used to actually take my risks with ties. Anyway. Rock on. Yeah, cool. Well,
1: I'm going to go ahead and take over and give a little... I wanted to talk a little bit about um, checklists today and checklist usage. We've talked a little bit back in previous episodes about checklists. And so I decided, well, I'd like to learn a little bit, obviously, before we talk about it, you know, the history of checklists. So I got on the internet, did a little search. Turns out checklists date back to... uh, Back to 1935, there was uh, actually a contract. Uh, the U.S. Army was was doing tests for um, for aircraft contracts to determine which aircraft they were going to go with. And back in October 1935, uh, through through the previous year, they had they had narrowed down through three aircraft manufacturers, and they were going to be going with the Boeing Model 229. Now, in uh, 1935, when they actually took this flight, there was, uh, there was five men on board this airplane. There were two pilots, uh, a test pilot, a mechanic, and an engine representative from Pratt and Whitney. Now, the aircraft took off and uh, made a steady, uh, steady climb out, and then it stalled and crashed. Now, uh, two of the men died in, um, in the aircraft fire, and investigators cited pilot error because they found that the pilots had failed to actually release the gust lock on the elevator. Now, later on, some other pilots got together um, and were looking at the situation, and they were trying to figure out what exactly was happening. Was this, quote unquote, too much airplane for one man to fly? And what they figured out is it wasn't too much airplane for, for, for somebody to fly. It was too much for one person to memorize. And so what they determined was, if we can't memorize these items because there's just a, such a sheer volume of activities going on in here, let's write them down. And from there, the basic, uh, you know, the basic premises—that uh, is where we come up with aircraft checklists. So aircraft checklists date back to 1935, which uh, is quite a long time. And I'm sure we're, you know all of us here are familiar with how useful they are. But I wanted to touch upon. A little bit of you know some some additional reasons of why they're important because there's a there are a lot of accidents um, involving now I know of one actually um, Rick I'm not sure if you remember it probably about three years ago somewhere out in Cape Cod there was an accident um, was, was there, was there somewhere yeah somewhere around there and it was the exact same issue the pilot had ta- I don't know about his checklist uses but the pilot had taken off failing to release the gust lock and got into the climb and uh, stalled mm. the aircraft, and it had crashed. Mm. And uh, so that you know, these things do happen. And one of the things that I notice with students is that it's you know you have to. It was something important that I wanted them to learn that even though, and I do this at work too. Even though I've read that checklist five times, I mean, there's days where I do five flights and I've read that same checklist five times. You think I know that checklist? You bet I can recite it from memory, but to make sure that we're safe and I didn't miss anything, you know, I read that checklist every time. Now, what I wanted to actually add, not just the importance and the history of it, but, you know, a little bit of uh, checklist technique, and I'll ask you guys uh, some of your, you know, techniques here in just a moment, but what I do for myself to make sure that I haven't actually forgotten to perform a checklist item. Now, if you have flows, some aircraft have flows, you go through your flow, And you'll set up the aircraft as necessary. And then usually you pick out that checklist and you start reading through from top to bottom. What I do is I vis in order to like visually verify and confirm that the item hasn't been missed, I take my hand and I touch each item around the flight deck as I pronounce it out loud, reading it out loud in the airplane. Now, this of course is a two, you know, at work, this is a two crew member environment. So We have a read and response checklist. So that's the way I perform it. I'll read it. I'll point to it. And, you know, as we go through and the responses, make sure they associate accordingly to what we're going to do. Because not always are they the same thing. One instance is in the wintertime when our aircraft is cold. Instead of putting the ignition to the auto position, we put the ignition to the on position. Well, you know, in the last eight months when you've been going through that checklist five times a day, you spelled out ignition auto. And then you say to yourself, whoa, 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 hold on a second. No, it's on today. So, you know, by, by making that visual verification and touching each item is, is a helpful method that I use. Now, you know, again, I was talking about a two crew member environment. I do the same thing in general aviation aircraft. And then one technique that I use in general aviation aircraft that's even helpful to me is I read that checklist out aloud even when I'm by myself, okay? I want to know. The process of me reading it out loud and hearing myself responding in addition to touching each item to verify that it's been performed is a method that, uh, you know, is my method of verification. Now, uh, I'm going to ask, uh, well, let's just start with Carl. What, what sort of checklist techniques do you use that you, know, that you found helpful to remember and to make sure you haven't forgot items?
4: Well, you know, since I, I go through between airplanes often, you know, I'll jump out of a jet and then jump into the 182, then jump into a, a Piper. I, I rely on checklists probably more than most. But one thing that I found really helpful is, number one, I do a flow no matter what, and I always do the Gums check no matter what kind of airplane I'm flying. Mm-hmm. And, and the other thing is that what I've done is I put, uh, especially pre-landing checklists, is I've and after takeoff checklists, I've actually taken those and put them up on the on the panel so that I can see that right before I land instead of having to pull out a checklist. You know, we all have that problem. Gee, I'm I'm flying. But I always, always do and th- this is I don't trust just the checklist. I trust the, the, the flow, mm-hmm. the checklist and the flow again. Mm-hmm. So I'll do I'll do three things. So I'll I'll do the flow, do the checklist and then in my mind Just make sure, oh, yeah, I brought the gear up. Oh, I put the gear down. And uh, especially, you know, I I do something silly, too. I do the 6 o'clock news. It is what I, you know when I'm landing. I always think about the six o'clock news. I, I don't want to be on it, so mm-hmm. I do my gumps check right before mm-hmm. landing. And uh, you know, I always have that funny story where I, I told that to one of my students. He says, "Well, hey, dude, I am on the six o'clock news, so that's not going to scare me." <laughs> and he was he actually he was one of the guys that produced it. But mm-hmm. yes, I I definitely I love I love the flow. Go back to the checklist, do it again. But it, that scares me because, like I said, I'll be in three types of aircraft in one day, just like many flight instructors do, mm-hmm. and and. Uh, you know, I'll, I always do a flow check. Ah, I'm, but be honest with you, there's times that, uh, yeah, I, I haven't pulled out a checklist, mm-hmm. and I sit up and myself, "Ooh, did I do that? Oh no, I didn't." And the other thing is don't memorize it. I mean we all I'm sure all of us have done that you know memorize that checklist and go through it you know it's actually pull it out because you're gonna miss something just like you said on the on the ignition auto ignition on it's like whoa, well, well, wait a minute mm-hmm. you're just you just wrote memorizing that mm-hmm. and you're spitting it back
1: yeah yeah, in fact I, I as you were speaking, uh, Carl, there was one thing that I do remember that I also do, and I'll hold that checklist in my hand and I won't put it down because some of our checklists are what we call to the line where they have an intermediate line in the middle where you hit it, you reach a a point and you stop, say for instance, um, before takeoff checklist to the line, which means you have some items that you run, you pause at the line. And then after that, um, after you've reached your clearance, for instance, our takeoff checklist to the line is all the items like a control check. Below the line is verifying the air, the air, runway heading and the aircraft uh, heading are the same and that you're on the correct runway. And the second item is putting the lights on. And then once those are done, the checklist is complete. So, you know, I don't put that checklist, necessarily put that checklist down because it's paused. You know, there's, there's an intermediate point. I'll just hold on to it. And, you know, what I'll do is I'll hold it or I'll place it on the dash in front of me. So that's not tucked away in its, in its usual corner as another visual reminder to me, hey, Len, guess what? There's something that hasn't been finished or there's something that had, you know, there's a second half of this that needs to be completed. So that's another method that I use. What about you, Victoria? What, what sort of methods do you use in the, in the cockpit to help you with your checklist uh, memory item or uh, checklist items?
3: Yeah, um, I pretty much use a flow. Um, I prefer to actually use the same checklist um, just because I hop between so many different Cessnas even though they have a little bit different between them, there's a checklist that I'm used to. So sometimes when I use like the company plane, I'll bring one that I used in my flight training that just helps me cover everything better versus, you know, something big, long and extended. But, um, I do the flow, but then after I do that, you know, I'll double check it with the checklist. And then sometimes they even just stop and say, okay, did I miss anything? I kind of pause for a moment and think before flying again.
1: Yeah. Okay.
2: Um, Rick. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I use the lists. I, I, you know, I do have, I do have some memory items and you'll hear, some of the videos I have, you'll hear me saying them several times. Just, you know, you have moments when you're, you know, you're in pattern and, and you know, you're just working the numbers and the side picture and all that. And it's plenty of time just as a, as a security measure where I'll say it again, I'll check again, you know, just a few key things. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not, I'm not in a complex airplane. So uh, there's, there's less that's, the, you know, there's just less things that really can be adjusted at that point. But I do find myself saying them a lot. And in the Cirrus, there's a there's electronic checklists as well, which is really great. Um, so you can just dial them over. Especially, you know, the the crews fly the in-flight checklist, and and um, you know, you can they're, they're they're available to you very easily without having to pull out uh, paper. And so, um, but yeah, I just basically, you know, I do, I do, t- I also do the thing where I touch stuff. Um, in the Cirrus, you know, I will reach up sort of a habit thing and touch when you, when you take out the, you have to take out the pin that um, protects you from accidentally deploying the parachute on the ground. So before you go, you, you know, but, you know, during your prep to take to, you know, pre-flight and I'll let you take the pin Mm -hmm. out. I set it usually where I could see it. And then when that item comes up in the checklist, you know, I sort of reach out and touch it there, Mm -hmm. you know, there it is. So I do a little bit of all those things. Mm
1: -hmm. Oh, good. Yeah. What have you found has been, have you found that electronic checklist, even though it's virtually, you know, you're, you're going through the same list, checking those items off. Have you found a difference in the way you feel about it because you don't, uh, you know, you don't have the paper in your hand. I mean, has it been, does it
2: matter? Yeah, it mattered in a way. I actually, I come, I'm sort of an electronic guy. So I, I, um, find it easier to, to get to and to use and to read and, the paper, you know, so in the Cessna that I fly, that's it, there is, I don't think, it, I'm pretty sure there isn't that. And it's the paper one. And some of the checklists um, are duplicated in a couple of places. Like this, I think the, the startup checklist is if you're starting with ground power or not. And so you have to flip past a couple of pages to find the one that applies to the situation you're in. Mm-hmm. Not too many of those. But I, so I find that to be a little cumbersome at times. And, and it isn't. I should probably, if it was my own plane, I'd probably get rid of some stuff that I, you know, that is not true, that, you know, just. Mm -hmm. make a version that is, that is exactly what I need, uh, as well to have, to have in the plane. But, um, so I like it. I I think it's great to have it there and I can, you know, switch back and forth and jump Mm -hmm. to the previous you know, list. And so, yeah, I, I, but I, I like them both. I mean, I, whatever, whatever's available, I definitely work with them. Mm -hmm. Well, that's
1: good. Yeah. You know, and, and I kind of wanted to also bring up the sort of bring up the idea of checklists is I have, you know, I've flown not just with flight students, but with other folks, uh, you know, for BFRs and IPCs and those different sorts of events, and in, in flying with different varieties of people, you see sometimes what I call our bad habits. You know, you fly, especially for aircraft owners. There's a there there can sometimes be that tendency that this is the only airplane I fly, and I know it inside out. You know, that may be true. I just like to say, hey, consider using that checklist. It's definitely there for your favor. Uh, it's gonna help you out. Make sure you don't miss something. There'll be the day where it may save your butt, and you know, for the couple of seconds it takes out of your pre-flight or or any any sequence of your flying, to pull that out and just verify something. You know, I I think it's definitely, I highly recommend that you check that out and and definitely use it for those uh, out there in flight training. You know, there's really no exception. It's it's there to save your butt. It's there to to make sure that, uh, like Carl says, you don't end up on the six o'clock news. So, um, you know, it's just a it's just a basically an item I wanted to share with folks and make sure that you know, even though you are familiar, go ahead and it's it, airplanes are can be dangerous. We know that uh, we get comfortable and we fly when we're flying, but we want to make sure that we're safe. And so, as uh, a public safety announcement, a reminder, yeah. if you will, to uh,
2: use those checklists, folks. So. Some, some people actually I heard talking about uh, either on another podcast or I'm not sure about creating additional checklists. People were joking with me that I should create them for the camera setups. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, because there are times when you, oh, I forgot to plug that in. So that well, it's do. true. And then the other thing is the iPad stuff, which yeah, is exactly right all this extra portable gear that you may want to use. Did I turn off the radio or on the radio? Mm-hmm. Did I preload this did i you know whatever it's in a bunch of extra things that you don't want to get distracted later with it so
1: yeah there's i mean we won't go into it today but i think we could talk about it on another show about just pre-flighting the ipad in general it was something that sort of came on my radar a couple of weeks ago i never really thought about it from that concept right but if you're going to be using for instance an ipad in flight you know you want to make sure just like you said, some features are turned on and off that aren't going to be distracting. You've got current charts. Your apps are up to date. All your information is in place, et right. cetera. So, right. there's, yeah, there's definitely some other items that's not a, that's not a bad idea yep. to create a checklist for. So
0: Our picks of the week.
1: Well, we're getting uh, to the top of the hour here, so we'll go ahead and start into our picks of the week. Why don't we jump in? Uh, we haven't heard um, from Carl in a little bit. Carl, tell us about your pick of the week.
4: Well, thanks, Len. The... uh Actually, I, I met with a gentleman who has a a new line of clothing, and it's uh, you can look at it at AirspeedJunkie dot com, and it's more of a lifestyle type of clothing where he's he's kind of has a little bit of a fusion between people that like motocross say and aviation. So there's that little bit of a motocross with the skull and the and the propellers, and he has some uh, different uh, shirts for both men and women and also for kids, but I, I, I like uh there's a couple of them I really like and one of them is uh Live to Fly by V one and it's got these wings on it and all and it uh and you can actually go to their website, airspeedjunkie.com. And what he has done is, you know, you have all these kind of cool t shirts, and this is my feeling. You have all these cool t-shirts like for Harley Davidson, etc. Well, you know, how about something that you can wear that's like a Harley Davidson t-shirt in 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 my mind. But for aviation, and because a lot of the stuff that's out there is kind of geeky, this is a little bit cooler. It's it's uh, it, it's also uh, stuff that would be very appropriate for even younger folks. And I actually really like the uh, actually the the blue uh, nautical women's uh, aviation t shirt. In other words, it's a not naut- a mix of nautical and also a mix of aviation and uh, if you get a chance take a look at that airspeedjunkie.com because uh, on there is actually the, the photos were taken in the hangar across from me and they uh they did a, a great job with these uh the colors and they're kind of vibrant and they they stand out and he's he's gotten away from just doing the apparel but he's also doing some uh, bags and tote bags and i'll i'll probably come back and talk more about the flight crew bags that he just uh, put together and because I haven't actually gotten mine in the mail yet, but uh, his—it's just a, a neat, neat place to go to—to to take a look at some of these t-shirts that are more of a lifestyle type of t-shirt. Where at first you look at them, you don't think it's aviation, and it really is. It's a lot of fun, and the and the folks there I think are going to come out with a lot more products that are fun. Airspeedjunkie.com. Women's clothing. I do really
3: like the girls' shirts. They're very yeah. Cute.
4: Carl, uh, oh, that, is, is it, t- you're not content. telling us something?
1: You like the women's clothing, or you're, you're, you're holding back on a secret there, buddy? <laughs> no,
4: no, no. <laughs> you know, it's. I tell you, I'm just getting harassed today. <laughs> I was, you know, yesterday I'm sewing buttons on my uniform and and, I, and someone, my friend, my other pilot friend texts me and says, what are you doing? I said, I'm sewing. I'm and he sewing. says, oh, I never do. <laughs> it's one of those I skills you have sew. to have as a pilot. You have to sew buttons on yeah, your uniform when you're on a trip. Right Len? you sew buttons, don't oh you? my gosh,
1: I'm always losing a button off my blazer, man. <laughs> <laughs> what a pain in the butt.
4: But uh, cool shirts, cool women's apparel too. I, I think that's it's pretty pretty awesome.
1: Mm. Cool. Hey, um, let me ask you. I forget, so I'm going to ask you right now. Did you already talk to this gentleman? Because I think you're going to.
4: Oh yeah. Do something. The, that was. Yeah. Yeah, I actually we're supposed to get together and uh, and I'm supposed to interview him shortly uh, he, uh, if you look at the, the males in the pictures, that's him. He's, uh, one of the co-owners Okay, is also the model. And, uh, it was funny cause I said, Hey, you got a t-shirt on, let me take a picture. And he sits there and strikes a pose. I was like, Oh, that's odd. You kind of look like you've done this before. He <laughs> says, yeah, look at my website. <laughs> sure enough. That's him. But yes, he's, I'm supposed to talk to him soon. I just, uh, had a honeydew list that was really long. Mm-hmm. Well, part of my honeydews was, of course, to do the sewing, but uh, that's besides the point. Mm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, cool stuff. I mean, he's he's really into that whole lifestyle thing, and and uh and I I don't know. What do you think about the skull with the the props on? it? I, I like that. that. I'm that looking at that one too. right now. It, it. I was like at first, like, hmm, do I like this or not? But I was like, wow, this this does look pretty cool. Yeah, it is pretty but, cool. Yeah. Sure. Cool. Uh, there's junkie.com. Wonderful.
1: Uh, Victoria, your pick of
4: the week.
3: My pick of the week is, um, mytransponder.com. Um, what made me think to choose them? I've been a member on this website for quite a while, but what made me choose them was when I had my eye problems and was seeking advice or support or whatever, it was an amazing community on there. Um, basically my transponder is pretty much a Facebook for pilots They have uh, groups you can join. Uh, There's, like, you have your own little profile, just like you do on Facebook. You can share pictures. You can share um, your flights that you did. You can actually log flights on there. Um, It's quite an awesome community, and they're from all over the world. Um, I actually talked to a one-eyed pilot on there about his experiences. So... um, you really can get in touch with many different people from many different airports, and you all have the same common passion. So a great site, mytransponder.com. dot com.
1: Yeah, I've used them a little. Well, not for those same purposes, but I've got an account over there. I, I like the idea. It's a it's a great are, it's a great
4: community. Are they the ones at Potapalooza this year? Were they yes, the ones with yes. the big yes, they were. the big motorhome and all? Yep. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. yeah.
3: They're yeah, great the guys who nice run it too. Actually, the really yeah, they're awesome,
4: passionate yeah. aviators. So cool, By Awesome. Far. Mytransponder.com. Okay, yeah, yep. i will to take a peek at that. So, Rick, how about uh, your pick of the week?
2: Yeah, I thought you know I did some <laughs> research as, because I knew I was gonna be talking about the colorblind thing, and um, there is an app for oddly enough, there's an app for that, um, which is which I'm still just experimenting with, but it's pretty cool, and it um, it's called. Dan Kam, D-A-N-K-A-M, um, and, and that's named for the the creator of it, whose name is Dan Kaminsky, who people might know in the in the uh, in the geek world as uh, being a guy who's dealt with security issues online and and hacking and things. Um, but I guess he was trying to help a friend out who is colorblind for some reason uh, was trying to help him with something and said, you know, I think we can probably work with filtering to 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 correct for some of it and give you some sense of of what it looks like to other people. So I still have to play with this a bit, but basically I just a little while ago, basically used the cameras of the phone's camera and um, it has some settings in there that you can, you can adjust with pretty good granularity what uh, different colors are being filtered in what ways. But I pointed it with the settings on at those charts that I can't see with my own eyes, the Mm -hmm. numbers in and on the phone, I can see the numbers and that's pretty cool. <laughs> it's never, you know what I mean. I've never been able to do that. So that's cool. Um, you know, this is a very narrow win, very narrow window. For, so so around the phone, it's just dots. But through the phone, I can tell you what the numbers are, and I can vary the the dial to accurately show me those numbers. And then, of course, take the phone and point it at something else in the mm-hmm. world. And what does that look like now? And I, you know, so I think I need to do a lot more playing with it. But uh, those of you who might have some interest or know someone who's colorblind, it's called Dan Cam. and then it's, I think it's called Colorblind Fix. Um, and it's, uh, I, it may exist for other smartphones. I know it's there for the uh, iOS stuff. So that's my pick.
1: That's pretty cool. I'm looking at the website yeah. and it shows, it actually shows a screen, um, a screenshot of what you're talking about, the colored circles where you can barely see them. And then the, you know, how the app has optimized it. That's pretty fancy.
2: Right, but you can see, but you're looking at that, right? And you can see the number on the left, right?
1: I mean, I can. Yeah, yeah and but... <laughs> I can't.
2: Isn't that? Fact? I mean, it's just. Uh...
1: But it's interesting how it pro- how even you know because for me in the left column where I can see it, yeah, and then in the right column where it's app enhanced, it's for me like a com- like I would say the left is dull and the right is vibrant, vibrant? Mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and
2: that's probably what it does. It ex- it ex- it extreme, you know, it takes things to extremes mm-hmm. to show contrast. Because I anyway fascinating stuff and i'm gonna i'll let you know more in the future how this works for me Ah, cool well keep us posted you know. definitely. yeah definitely
1: well i'm um, gonna go ahead and jump in here and share my pick of the week it's um in fact i'm gonna bring up the website it's a product called on tip and on tip is a insulated smartphone glove so you know it's it's winter time now for the for the uh, smartphone savvy pilot out there who's doing pre-flights and checklists and uh, flight planning on their iPad or iPhone or Android device, you know that when you're out there that uh, you generally can't conduct the proper um, the I think it's uh I don't remember the, you can't conduct the proper amount of pressure on the screen, the pressure in the feel that would activate sliding you know the unlock key or typing or doing any function on the phone. So, you know, I've have actually resorted to it's funny they've got some demonstration videos on here. I've dem, I've resorted to on occasionally because I don't have these gloves, using my nose, putting my nose on my iPhone to slide the unlock button <laughs> 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 when it's cold outside. Right. Well, these gloves what they've done is they've provided uh and they're not the only company out there. In fact, I was just one that I, you know, had a had a pretty robust um website that showed how the how the gloves worked, but uh, they have these conductive, uh, these little conductive tabs um, basically on the index finger and the thumb on the outside of the glove so that you can wear be wearing gloves and you can still use your smartphone um, or your, uh, your touchscreen device. Actually, this could even come in handy potentially with some of the new touchscreen avionics. I haven't used them. I'm not sure if they're work in the same conductive manner where you know you have need to use a special glove of some sort to activate them but you know in the winter time sometimes I've flown I did a lot of flight training in North Dakota and I'm not lying when I tell you there were times um when it was so cold outside that I would never take my hat gloves or coat off through the entire airplane flight the, the entire flight lesson because by the time we were done it would still be cold in there it was so cold the, you know, wow. the, the aircraft heater just wouldn't it, – it'd take the edge off, but it wouldn't be warm enough to take off your accessories. So, you know, these are just cool gloves. The website is ontip.com. They have different models, different versions, not necessarily aviation-related, but for the aviation pilot that it uses their smartphone, like I said. It's a great little item to check out, ontip.com. Cool.
0: The After Landing Checklist. So that is
1: it. Uh, well everybody it's been uh well let me let me ask everybody Rick tell us how folks can get in touch with you.
2: Yeah, it's uh R Felty on Twitter, RD Felty on YouTube, and the blog is rotationspeed.com. Happy New Year, everybody. Hot name, man. Yeah. All right, Carl. Oh, the numbers are going through the roof because of that name, let me tell you. Are they for real? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs>
4: <real. laughs> <laughs> and uh I uh you can find me at expertaviator.com. That's where my blog is. You can also find me on Twitter, at expertaviator. And also uh, YouTube, if you want to take a look at some new videos, I'd like to get your opinion on them. YouTube's expertaviator. All right. Victoria.
3: On Twitter, I'm Toria Fly. My blog is toriaflies.blogspot.com, and you can catch me over at Aviation Insurance Resources.
1: Right on. And uh, you can reach me on, on um, Twitter and Facebook as The pilot Report and uh, my new website, thepilotreport.tv. If you've got any questions, comments, items you would like for us to answer or address or, or you know mention on the air, please do send us an email over at stuckmikeavcast at gmail.com or reach out to us at stuckmikeavcast on Twitter and Facebook. We always love to hear from you guys. So from myself, Len Costa, Rick Felty, Carl Valeri, and Victoria Newville, thank you very much for listening to episode number 16 of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Happy New Year, everybody. Have a great day.
0: Costa Production.